Welcome back, everyone, to another of our special episodes with Omer from Israel. And uh, today we've got a topic that is going to set the stage for tomorrow's episode. Tomorrow I want to talk uh, with Omer about current events in Israel. But I think most Americans need some background here. They need to understand how Israel came into existence in this modern era. And in order to understand that, we have to delve into the issue of historical anti-Semitism. Now, understand, anti-Semitism is not a critique of Jewish people or Jewish things. It is specifically a prejudice against Jewish ethnicity and activities that is completely unreasonable and often very dangerous uh, when it is carried to its full extent. Uh, Let me just give you some examples uh, from Scripture. Uh, The Pharaoh of Exodus chapter 1, the guy that it says, there rose a Pharaoh who did not know Joseph and totally forgot about all the good things that had happened with the Jewish people in his country previous to his rise, immediately started looking at the Jewish people as an inward threat. And uh, first he tries to work them to death, and when that doesn't work in uh, stopping uh, their growth as a group, he um, authorizes this lethality of infanticide. And so Moses' backstory is actually very much uh, bathed in this idea of anti-Semitism. The Amalekites that came up uh, in the next part of the story, when the Israelis are leaving Egypt, Uh, they end up waylaying uh, the Jewish people uh, and try to kill a few of them, quite a few of them, and enslave a bunch more of them. Uh, And that becomes enrolled in the history of Israel. Uh, God says, never forget that. Never forget what they did to you. Uh, And God actually puts an appointment on the calendar for later uh, that that's going to be dealt with. Uh, The story of Esther is actually um, a continuation of that same story because it was an Amalekite, uh, Haman the Agagite, uh, who took personal uh, revenge on one Jewish man that he thought had insulted him by deciding to manipulate the government in wiping out every Jewish person. Uh, He was uh, kind of a Hitler before his time. Uh, So these are good examples from the scripture of the effects of anti-Semitism. It pains me to have to say as a Christian, though, uh, that because of some very bad Christian teachings in history, teachings that totally ignored and misconstrued uh, New Testament writings, such as what Paul writes in Romans 9 through 11, uh, the Jewish, or excuse me, the, the Christian leadership, and I'm using Christian in air quotes here, um, were involved in a lot of systemic um, anti-Semitism that was abusive and hateful and often lethal. And uh, I, I think uh, that the Alhambra Decree, 1492, uh, is a very good example of that where so many Jews were given the horrible choice of you either 
give up your Jewishness and become uh, a Catholic, become a European Catholic, a Spanish Catholic in particular, or you leave, get out, or we'll kill you. And uh, it would appear in that time period that a lot of, of Jewish people chose to go east, start heading back to uh, the Holy Land area, uh, the Ottoman Empire area at that time. Uh, and I think they're, they're part of that group that joined the already existing Jewish uh, communities in the Galilee uh, in particular, but other places. Uh, but this is the background uh, for our talk today with Omer, because I want him to kind of start zeroing in, because we don't have time to talk about all the atrocities and all the foolishness uh, that went on through the centuries. Uh, he's going to zoom in on what happened in the late 1800s and in the early 1900s with the pogroms in Russia and other places that lit the fire of, of what we call Zionism, a, a desire to go quote, home, if you will, uh, to the promised land. So, Omer, jump in here, teach hmm. us a history lesson about um, uh, anti-Semitism, its impact, uh, and the pogroms, and, and the establishment of the nation of Israel, and things that have happened since then. I think in order for us to understand the, the, uh, uh, the roots of, let's call it, Western anti-Semitism, uh, which is not like uh, uh, Haman, for example, which is Eastern anti-Semitism. We need to understand why the Romans, before I go even go to the 1800s, but I want people to understand what is the root of the hatred of the Romans against the Jews. And this is embedded actually in the year 134 AD. In the year 134 AD, there was a great revolt, not the revolt that we all know about. The, the revolt that everybody speaks about, the one that Jesus prophesied, is the year 70. Masada, Jerusalem being destroyed. This is the Great Revolt. There was another revolt. It was smaller in its scale, but it left a huge mark on the Roman Empire. And this is the 134 uh, revolt by Bar Kokhva against Hadrian. The outcome of that revolt is that Hadrian changed the name Judea to Palestine. So they tried to erase the name of the Jews. They didn't do it after the, the Great Revolt. They did it only after Bar Kokhva Revolt because the Romans lost so many soldiers that they saw the Jews as sworn enemies. Later on, when the church became the national uh, religion of the Roman Empire, Helena, Queen Helena, couldn't look kindly at the Jews because of the political background that they had. The Romans hated the Jews not so much because of the religion. They hated the Jews because the Jews were excellent warriors and they caused a lot of problems to the Romans. So the, the, the foundation of the church anti-Semitism is actually embedded into Roman politics. This is the, this is the beginning of it. I'm going to jump forward from all what you said about the, you know, the Spanish Inquisition and all the pogroms and Poland and Ukraine and all of that. And let's jump to the 19th century. Something very unique that we see in what we call it the modern anti-Semitism. Up until the 19th century, I would say even the second half of the 19th century, anti-Semitism was actually, in a quote-unquote, was able to be solved if you decide to become a Christian. This is not true 100% because, for example, the Spanish Inquisition was chasing after those Jews who decide to become Christian because the Spanish Inquisition had no jurisdiction on Jews. Those Jews were expelled from Spain, well, of course, without deposition or anything. Many of them went to the, to the Ottoman Empire 
And, uh, but the Jews who stayed in Spain were subject to horrible tortures by the Spanish Inquisition. In the mid-19th century, that idea disappeared. And we started to look at Judaism as a race, not as a religion. This will be the, the, the cradle of Nazism. Mm-hmm. And this is where this is along the time of Darwin uh, evolution theory and all of that when we call it the age of science when age of science started to kick in after the the industrial re- revolution the uh, uh, the identification of Jews was basically become much more venom than before now it's not enough for you to convert if you're a Jew you need to be dead and this is explaining huge wave of anti-Semitism, uh, not just in Russia. If you look at, uh, at France, for example, in uh, 1870, there was a French colonel by the name Dreyfus. Dreyfus was a highly ranking Jewish officer in the French army that after the defeat to Germany in 1875, uh, um, there was a spy in the, in the uh, French army. It was not Colonel Dreyfus. But because he was a Jew, they blamed him that he is the spy. Now, his, uh, he was deranked, his sword was broken, he was sent into exile, he was about to be shot. But then they found the real uh, traitor. But get this, the French government did not clean his name. No. And what happened was, there was a, there was a French author by the name Emile Zola. And Emile Zola wrote a book that says, J'accuse, I accuse. One of the people who read that book was Theodore Herzl. Herzl was the founder of the idea of the modern state of Israel. Now, we have to remember, Jews were always in the land of Israel, minus one period of time of 100 years that the Crusades, the Catholic Crusades, actually banned Jews of living in the land of Israel, again, because of political reasons. This is the only time in history since the return of the children of Jacob uh, uh, in the book of Joshua. That's the first time that we didn't have Jews in the land of Israel. Uh, uh, other than that, we always had Jews in, in the land of Israel. It's funny enough to see people today saying, oh, Jews came to Israel in 1948. Really? <laughs> Maybe 1948 BC. Yes, I, I would agree with that. What happened was, and this is something very interesting about the modern anti-Semitism. People view today, when you ask people about Jews, they're gonna, they, they have in mind these Hasidic Jews that are segregated from the society. They're not a part of the society. They're like... You know, with the with the with the uh, dreidel, not the so the the, payas, the 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 sideburns, the little the long sideburns, yeah, the long sideburns, the black hats, and all of that. These are the Jews, the very small minority of the Jews. If we look at Western Europe, I'm not talking about Russia right now. Western Europe, the Jews were a crucial part of the economy and the military of those Western powers: England, France, Belgium, Netherlands, Germany. My family is one of them. So the Jews look like any other person because they're assimilated into uh, the Western society, kind of, kind of like a lot of the American Jews today. Now, you know, they serve in the Supreme Court, they serve in the military, they're, they're citizens like everybody else. And here is where the, the uh, uh, um, uh, modern anti-Semitism kicked in, and that's much more dangerous than the old traditional anti-Semitism. Because a lot of leaders, such as Hitler, for example, such as the Tsar of Russia, wanted to blame their problem on the Jews. And they said, beware of the Jews. They look like you, but they are not. Mm-hmm. And this is how they funnel the hatred against the Jews and use these 
this uh, uh, anti-Semitic drawing of showing a Jew with a big nose. Yes. And, you know, the, 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 the characteristic of how a Jew should look like. Yes. And I got to share this with our audience. My daughter, Ella, is blonde with green eyes. So when we walk on the street and we say we're from Israel, they tell us, you don't look like a Jew. <laughs> how does a Jew look like? Right, exactly. Right? I mean, I got to say, you, know, you don't look like an, like an American. How does an American look like? <laughs> so this is a big difference between this and the old world anti-Semitism. Now, I do want to go back to the pogroms. Pogroms in Russia meaning uh, uh, mass murder. That's the mass, mass execution. At the beginning of the, the turn of the, the 20th century, Russia was one of the poorest nations in the world. It was mostly agricultural nation. It was under the Tsar. And the Tsar treated horribly his uh, subject. Horribly. We need to remember back then that the Western powers were not that good also. We're talking imperial uh, uh, um, uh, Western Europe. You know, with the Austro-Hungarian Empire, the French Empire. We just had Napoleon that killed three million people. So that's, this is, this is the, 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 the time scale that we are looking at. What happened was in Russia, uh, the local villages wanted to go against the Tsar. But the Tsar said, it's not because of me, it's because of the Jews. All your problems are because of the Jews. Shift the blame. Shift the blame. And we had the Cossacks. The Cossacks are ex-warriors of the Russian army, together with the mob, starting to shift the blame against those uh, Jewish communities. For example, we have a, a horrible pogrom in the city of Kishinev. Uh, which because of that pogrom, that attack, Golda Meir moved to Milwaukee. And she, her family actually grew up in Milwaukee. Here, Golda Meir, our prime minister. Also, the first prime minister of Israel, David Ben-Gurion, fled from one of those pogroms. And in the same time, this is, this is fascinating, in the same time, we have a rise of self-determination of nations, not Jews. The Balkans start to revolt against the uh, uh, Ottoman Empire. Same thing goes with the Bosnian against uh, the Austro-Hungary Empire. You have nations that start to wake up and will demand their own uh, self-determination. The Jews were also one of them. And then you start to see the first wave of what we call Aliyah, immigration into Israel. The first one that belongs to the modern uh, uh, Zionism is in 1882. Mostly from Poland and Russia. Aliyah meaning going up. Going because up. they're going up to Jerusalem. Basically. That comes from Book of Psalms. Yes. That comes from Book of Psalms. I will lift my eyes up to the hills. This is where it comes from. So the modern anti-Semitism actually gave birth to the modern Zionism. Again, there was always Zionism. Jews always lived in Israel. Actually, one of the biggest Zionists that we remember is Nehemiah. Right. He's a Zionist. He came. The returns. The return, uh, of course, of course. We're talking 510 BC. That's Nehemiah. But the modern Israel is very different because this time is not a shift of religion. It's a shift of a nation, which later on will become the Israeli nation. So that's a big, big, big difference. Something interesting about the anti-Semitism uh, in Europe, and I want to go back to the picture that I, that I just drew, that the, the Jew looked upon as a weak entity, as a weak, uh, uh, you, can, you can pick on him, you can, you can attack him. This is an outcome of almost 300 years of attacks, especially in Central and Eastern Europe against Jewish communities and outcast those Jews from military ranks. It was very different before that. Before that, before the, the uh, I would say the 16th century, Jews participated in the military. 
actually, you spoke about the, the exploitation uh, of the Jews, expelled the Jews in 1492. One of the commanders of the Spanish fleet was mm -hmm. a Jew. Yeah. He was a Jew. The Jews actually participated a lot in the wars. When you look at the Crusades, we go back to the 10th century, when the Crusades attacked cities, the defenders of those cities were Jews. Jews were very strong warriors. Actually, there is a period, and a fascinating period in history, between the 16th century and the 17th century, there were actually an army of 100 pirates, all of them Orthodox Jews. All of them, Spaniards. They were the first privateers. Right. When people think about privateers, they think about Captain Morgan. <laughs> Captain Morgan actually drew his understanding from a privateer uh, uh, Jew by the name Don Samuel, who was an Orthodox rabbi. So all of this built up the narrative of who the Jew is, who is the modern Jew is. But here's the difference, and this is something very important, between the old anti-Semitism and the new anti-Semitism. The new anti-Semitism says that Jews are Jews and they cannot change. Right. They're always going to stay like this. You know who, who embraced this today full-heartedly? The Muslims. Mm -hmm. When you look today at the Muslim world, they are using the same Nazi doctrine, even though they are Semite as well. The faces that they are putting of the Jew, that's a Semite face, right? which is them. But it's incredible to see that how a religion that basically didn't have so much problem with the Jews throughout history are now using the same method that Hitler did to uh, shift the blame for the oppression of their own people. And we see it in the textbooks in the Palestinian Authority and in Egypt and countries that we have peace with them. It's incredible to see how history repeats itself. Yeah, and I mean, th but that's the characteristic of bigotry. I mean, it's it doesn't really look at the realities. It just looks at this is what I I've been told to feel and it doesn't have to make any sense to anybody else. It's just this is the way it's going to be. I mean, the Jews are bringing... Uh, uh, there's a blood libel against mm -hmm. them. Uh, they're diluting the genetic uh, code. They are, uh, they are all of these bad things because we don't want it. Uh, and now, with this anti-Semitism going on and the desire to get back, I want you to speak to this idea that the Jewish people didn't just go and invade. I'm not talking about the ones that already lived in mm -hmm. the Israel area. The new ones coming in in the 18, 1900s, they didn't just come in and start occupying. They bought these properties and things. Explain that, because of a course. lot of people don't understand that either. Of course. We need and to it wasn't the best of properties that they ended no, up buying. No, it was the worst one. <laughs> Actually, when you think about it, why Tel Aviv? Why the, the vast majority of the Jews live today in Tel Aviv area? Because back in the days, at the early 20th century, this was a swampland. Mm-hmm. The area was run by the Turk Empire. We're talking before First World War. At the beginning of Zionism, it's roughly, as I said, 1882. There were a few rich Jews, mostly in France. One of them is known, is known as Baron Hirsch, uh, uh, Rothschild. Uh, Rothschild, I'm sorry, mm -hmm. thank you. Rothschild, Edmond de Rothschild. And Edmond de Rothschild bought land with money. Now, the way that the Turks had it, they had a lord, okay? They had a lord, a local lord that the land belonged to him, and all the farmers are working for him. Yes. Very but, similar in England. It's the feudalic system. Yes. It's the same thing. When Edmond de Rothschild bought the land, 
basically the land now belongs to him. He can do whatever he wants with that land. Mm-hmm. So he built villages, Jewish villages that use that land. The farmers that the land was not there, the, 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 the Arab farmers, that the land was not them, now are claiming the land belongs to us. But it was never there to begin with. Right. It, it belonged to their, belonged their, to their lord, lord that sold it off. Their landlord sold their property. Exactly right. Sold the property they'd been renting. It's the same as today, yeah. for example. Someone will buy a ranch in Texas. Okay, we'll buy a ranch in Texas, and he will pay the landlord that ranch. And some, his, one of his neighbors used to have permission to go and hunt in that property. Right. And the new landlord says, you're not allowed to do it. So the neighbor is going to say, what do you mean? That's my land. No, it's not. No, it belonged it to the was. landlord. It never yeah. was. So what happened was, and this is, this is you know, it's amazing, because all of the land that was offered to the Jews were bought by the Jews, by mostly uh, Rothschild. Mostly, there's a, there's a fund called the JNF, Jewish National Fund. Yes. The Jewish communities from all over the world gave money to buy the land. The Golan Heights, where I live today, the south part of the Golan Heights, belong to the Jews. By law, we bought it. Yes. Interestingly enough, in 1948, Israel won the, the War of Independence. We gained land, but we also lost land. For example, Jerusalem was conquered by the Jordanians. The south part of the Golan Heights, where we had Jewish villages, was conquered by Syria. Now Israel reunited it and Israel reclaimed it in 1967. But today people are saying, oh, you should give it back to Syria. What do you mean give it back to Syria? We bought it. We actually have the deed from right. the Turks. But, you know, if you don't know history, then uh, you well, can see, say whatever I, you want. And <laughs> I think that's part of the issue right here is a lot of people are getting their information today from less than honest mm. uh, sources or Sometimes sources that don't even know what they're talking about, they're just m- passing on misinformation that they were given. And so that's one of the reasons I really wanted to emphasize that idea that the land was legitimately purchased in that early of course. Uh, period of uh, course. leading up to the establishment of the nation of Israel. In fact, the, the map, the partition map, as it's called, uh, the UN uh, recommendation for how everything was going to be done— uh, is basically equivalent to the population centers for all of the Jewish people that they bought the property. When you look, when you look at the first pioneers, where did they settle? They settled in three main places: mm-hmm. in the Hula Valley. Hula Valley is up north, next to. And a uh, lot Africa. of work needed to be done up there, which was completely swamp and malaria. Yes, Jezreel Valley, completely swamp and malaria, and Tel Aviv area, completely swamp and malaria. Why? Because these are were the worst land possible. Nobody wanted them. And then the Negev, which was desert. Nothing. Desert. <laughs> Negev was desert. Also, by the way, south part of the Golan. South part of the Golan was completely arid, destroyed. There, were, there used to be Jewish villages over there 2,000 years ago, but that area was destroyed. And the, the Muslim population, the, the Turks, again, the Turks' landlord sold it for money. Now, when the British came in, they honored the Turkish, uh, uh, the Turkish law. The, the Turkish deed. So when the British came in, they didn't say, okay, we're just going to do a new uh, a, a, a division of the land. No, they said if the, the rightful owners of the land are alive, which are the Jews, okay, you can get, get, that, get that land. Now, did Israel conquer land in 1948? Yes. The yeah, Galilee, that's a different story that's because a different there's story. war going on Absolutely. there. Absolutely. And the Arabs that did not raise their arms against Israel are still living today in the state of Israel. They are the Israeli Arabs. Yeah. This is something very important to remember because the partition plan that was given 
to Israel was accepted by the Jews. You have to remember it was after, right after the, the Holocaust. Right. So we said, we'll take whatever we can. So it was accepted by the Jews. It was rejected by their neighbors. Same neighbors that said, this land belonged to us, but they never did. Right. There were vessels of that of that land. Yeoman, if I think if it's the right word in, in English. Yeah. It, we've only got about three minutes left. I, can, I feel here that we're going to have to talk a little bit more in this, our next session as well. But... And I don't know if you can get through it in just a few moments we have here. My understanding is that there was some communication between the official country surrounding Israel to the non-Jews living inside of this legitimate land that we're talking about, that if you'll just get out of the way, we will destroy the Jews and you can have their property. And this is the reason some of those people moved over to uh, what we call Jordan today, I guess. And those are the people that are often referred to as the refugees that are demanding a right of return. But they'd kind of entered into a Hobson's deal, a deal with the devil that, yeah, we'll get out of the way so you can kill them so we can have their property. Exactly right. Is that correct? The guy named, and I asked our, our listeners to Google, his name was Hajj Amin el-Husseini. He was the religious authority of the Muslims, a pure Nazi, he was one of... Oh, yeah, this is the Nazi period yeah, we're talking the Nazi about period, here. yes. This, this is 1947, uh, right, for the partition? Yes, plan, the, the plan? partition 1947. Hajjimin Husseini actually is even before that. He was there in 1947. Yeah. Hajjimin Husseini is a Nazi Muslim that came up with that idea. He actually wanted to kill all the Jews in the, the land of Israel. And he, that, it's exactly what you said. He said to the neighboring uh, Arabs of those Jewish villages, leave, we're going to kill the Jews so you can take their possession. That's very much Haman, you know, Haman from uh, the book of Esther. That's exactly right. So this is like a repeat of history again. Here. That's Haman, that's Pharaoh, that's uh, that's the Spanish Inquisition. Yes, that's Hitler. Yes, absolutely. And and it is not good that so many people here in the United States do not understand that. They do not understand that that's the reality that was taking place at that time. I think the biggest problem that we're facing today is we are living in the edge of social media that any Anyone with a cell phone is perceived to be a historian, and he can just—that's <laughs> true. Yeah, and he can say. I'm what, on TikTok, so exactly, I'm a historian. You know, exactly. You, you know, he can say whatever he wants, and this is our job to sit down and study. But I'm going to share this with us, and I hope I'm not offending anybody. Most people are lazy, and when they hear someone who speak with an authority voice, they said, "Oh, he's probably right. He has an English accent." <laughs> um, Google. Uh, what I'm saying here, also, please check us. The fact that I have a, a nice, deep voice doesn't mean that it's true. Please check what we are saying, and yes. you, you'll, be, you'll be amazed. Be a Berean, as we Christians say. Uh, why, why a Berean? Because the Bereans were more excellent people. They went and checked the Scripture or other authoritative material to see if these things are so. Amen. Um, well, I'm having a great time having this conversation <laughs> with you. Uh, we are going to uh, kind of wrap things up for today, and then we will come back to to this point uh, tomorrow and talk about the official establishment of Israel and how that didn't really resolve everything right away and how that feeds into the current events.